0: Hey besties, it's Cam from the internet, and I've tried to record this intro about five times and haven't really gotten it right. So I'll just start with, hi, hello, how are you? If you have listened to all of the episodes, you know that I had a bit of a gap. Usually I publish episodes every Friday, but there was a bit of a gap because I was out of town getting medical care. And as you can probably surmise by both my absence and the title of this episode, today we're gonna talk about chronic illness because it is a big part of my life And it's going to be an even bigger part of my life pretty soon. So like the name suggests, chronic illness is something that for many people is long lasting. And for me, it actually started at birth. I was born unhealthy. And I don't say that in like a, oh, poor me, feel sorry for me way. I just, I was born unhealthy. Most of my memories from childhood are cycled around the experience of chronic illness, but not in the way that I think a lot of people might characterize with chronic illness, because When you're born chronically ill, I I feel like at least my experience is different, but I'm one person with one set of experiences. Just know that that disclaimer applies to this entire episode. I was actually born yellow, which is jaundiced, which meant that my liver didn't work right. And so my skin was like an ungodly shade of yellow, which I honestly kind of find funny because when I was born, the doctors thought that I was like asleep or something because I kind of just flopped around, opened my eyes, cried for like five seconds and was like, yeah, enough of this and then fell asleep, which is funny now because I'm me and nothing has changed. And so I still don't like to be inconvenienced by, you know, basic bodily functions. But it was also not the best sign because I would later go on to have failure to thrive, which is a not uncommon condition with babies. But it is essentially if any doctors are listening to this, I'm sorry. I'm not explaining this in medically accurate terms because. I'm I'm tired, but failure to thrive in babies basically means that the child is not hitting developmental milestones. It's often a sign of things like fatigue or even, you know, some sort of hereditary disorder or something that's more physiological. The failure to thrive was concerning to my mother, obviously, but as I got older, it became pretty clear that there was more going on than just that. I was tired all the time. I was chronically constipated. We're just going to talk about that because why not? It's fine. We're maybe all adults here. Even if you're not, you're old enough to know what constipation is probably. Like there was just a whole bunch of stuff wrong. And that was my most of my childhood. But for me, growing up chronically ill, I wasn't quote unquote sick enough to be in and out of hospitals, see doctors all the time. But I was, quote unquote, sick enough to warrant being homeschooled because I would be out of school more than I was in. And my mother, who was an educator prior to having me, wanted to make sure that I had an education. I was sick enough where I was tired all the time. I had this ever-present feeling of malaise. Like, you know how you feel when you're about to get a cold, just run down and icky and demotivated? That's my baseline. That is to this day how I walk around. Like that if I wake up and feel like that, that's my normal. So if you can imagine that as a young child, when all of my neighbors and friends were outside playing, had energy to go to school, then go to dance, then do soccer, and still be able to do homework, spend time with family, that was unfathomable to me as a child. As a child, I did school, and then I read, and sometimes I'd play outside with my sister, but that was all that I had energy for. And I didn't think there was anything abnormal about it in my own sense, but I knew intellectually, like cognitively, that there was something wrong because I was going to doctors all the time. Now the other thing about that is that my family did not have a lot of money and at least on TikTok, which is where I spend a lot of my time, I see a lot of videos about the chronic illness experience from the lens of people who spent their time in and out of hospitals or going all over God's green earth to specialists and I do not begrudge them that at all and I'm very indescribably thankful that they had the means and resources to do that because a lot of times that improves quality of life. My family and I did not have that. And we're going to dovetail into some other topics that I will cover more in depth in other episodes. But my parents were not wealthy, are not wealthy. We grew up extremely lower middle class. I think technically probably we were at or on the poverty line. I don't know. I didn't know how much my father made until I was about 10. But we threw so much money at healthcare, money that we couldn't get back from insurance. Insurance did not cover the healthcare stuff and for my family that was just how it was. I remember that we made many insurance claims and disputes and and none of that really panned out but it was not fun, <laughs> I will say that. Now the hard part for me still about talking about this is talking about the mental and emotional impact because I am not the type of person that talks about my feelings to a degree but also more importantly that was not something that was discussed in my family. So, understandably, growing up in a body that hates you, growing up in a body that hates you, and you're not diagnosed. I did not get a diagnosis of any kind until this year, when I was 25 years old. So for 25 years, I walked around with undiagnosed chronic illness. The f- piece of frustration that I felt the most acutely growing up was two. Well, it was. I guess it was twofold. The first part of it was that I didn't have a diagnosis. We knew bits and pieces of what was wrong with us. And when I say me, I mean my mother, my sister and myself, because we all three present with very similar symptoms. And so growing up, there was no clear cut answer. The second part that frustrated me was the fact that because there was no clear cut answer, it felt a lot like we were spinning our wheels. But we had no other option because we were just trying different things with the same symptoms with different doctors. And as I got older, those solutions became more and more expensive more and more time-consuming, and more and more exhausting, to the point where by the time I was a teenager and all the doctors I was seeing were asking me if I was in high school, if I was able to get good grades, and then proceeded to look at me and tell me that I wasn't going to probably be able to make it through college. Jokes on them. I have two degrees. I graduated magna cum laude from my undergraduate university and with distinction from my graduate program. So yeah. But the point remained that that was a really hard thing to hear as a teenager. And the point remained that I was walking around feeling terrible with little to no hope in sight. And by the time I was 16 and for the first time my approach to healthcare changed, I kind of had this feeling that I'm just gonna walk around like this for the rest of my life and my entire life is going to be spent trying to pursue solutions that will keep my quality of life at this miserable baseline because that seems to be all that I can do. Because again, I wasn't sick enough, quote unquote, to where I needed a hospital, I needed super acute treatment, if I could have even afforded it. Um, I wasn't quote unquote sick enough to get a diagnosis, but I was sick enough where, again, I, I don't know how From ages 16 to 20, I was in college and worked and had internships. I could not do those things. Now, I think I got through it on a wing and a prayer, literally. And the fear that if I didn't do that, my entire future would go up in flames. I'm going to pause and talk about the whole future thing for a little bit, because all of that kind of dovetails into what happened from 16 on. So growing up, I knew three things that I was chronically ill, that being chronically ill was expensive, and that at the end of the day, I was only really going to be able to rely on myself. Now the first two things were facts. I was chronically ill, there was no denying that, and it was expensive. I saw the bills, I knew how much it cost. I also knew that a lot of doctors cut my mom a lot of deals because they felt really, really bad for this woman whose husband was working two jobs to make ends meet who was effectively single parenting two sick children. And because of that, and I'll talk about this momentarily, there was a lot of pressure on me and my sister to behave in a certain way and to not be difficult patients. Because if we did that, we wouldn't fall out of the doctors and the nurses and the staffs good graces and we would still be able to get discounts on our care because people would like us and still kind of feel bad for us and discount our treatment and a it is incredibly screwed up that healthcare is that way i will not deny that that is not how it should work i am so grateful that they did that and it never should have had to happen and healthcare should be affordable and equitable and accessible for all there's a whole other rant there but this is this is maybe <laughs> maybe not the platform for that But the second piece of that was that because of that, there was a lot of pressure put on every appointment. So dovetailing into the mental health aspect for a little bit, when I was about 10 or 11 years old, I started to bear the brunt of a lot of stuff in the household because my father's treatment of my entire family was trashing my mother's health. And so it fell to me, the oldest child, to do things like help with my sister's education, Balance the family budget, things that objectively I don't think any 10 year old child should have had to do. Don't worry, I'm talking about that in therapy. But part of that also meant that I was aware of a lot of things, and I don't think that helped the depression and the anxiety and the CPTSD that I was diagnosed with when I was 11. However, despite the fact that it was undeniable that I was depressed and anxious, we didn't really do anything about it from a healthcare perspective. About Ten percent of that was because in my family, mental health was not something treated as a health problem. Mental health was treated as a behavioral deficit. But the biggest part of it, the 90 percent of it, was that we didn't have the money. My mother had to choose constantly between addressing her children's physical symptoms and their mental health symptoms. And she chose the physical symptoms because she and this is partially backed by science, hoped that if we addressed the physical stuff, the mental health piece might get better because things like brain chemistry and hormonal imbalances are obviously incredibly impacted by physical health. And so she thought, huh, maybe if I can figure out what's causing my child's incredibly crippling, almost physical symptoms, then the mental health piece might click a little bit more into place. And I'm not saying that she was wrong and I'm not trying to point fingers because I do genuinely believe she was doing her best with what she had. She was trying to make the best decisions she could with the extremely limited money and time resources she had while also being even more chronically ill than my sister and I were. So by the time I was 16, I was a junior in high school. I was attending community college because we lived in Texas at the time and Texas had a dual enrollment program where any student 16 plus could enroll in college if they passed the equivalency exam, which was the same equivalency exam that GED students had to take. And if we passed that, we could go to college classes for free and get credit for both high school graduation and to transfer to colleges. This was obviously something that appealed to my family for a couple of different reasons. The first one being that it got their kids ahead. You know, this was something we were given the choice to do. My parents never said to me, You have to do this. My mom asked me, Do you want to do this? And I said, Yeah, because I wanted to transfer in some college credits and, and save some money. But the other thing was that homeschool curriculum was heinously expensive. It was about $1,500 every year to get accredited curriculum that would ensure we would graduate high school like legally per the Department of Education. And so we could save money that way, which was great but when i was 16 i was doing that i was also working part-time my first ever job was at subway and then from subway i went to starbucks and i worked about 25 hours a week and i was saving up for a car so i didn't have to burden my parents with driving me places and i also had the most active in real life social life i've ever had before or since which basically meant that i went to church twice a week on saturdays and wednesday nights wednesday night was youth group i had friends there i volunteered there that was my life but i was also going to doctor's appointments now more than ever, because as I got older, everything got worse. I was more fatigued. I was more exhausted. I was more stressed. I had gone through puberty very young at the age of like 12. And it was miserable and horrible in literally every imaginable way. And my hormonal symptoms were awful. I had terrible PMDD. I was only diagnosed with PMDD at age 25 also. And I was a suffering man. I was suffering on, on many, many levels. But also, my father's abuse was continuing. And that was not helpful at all, I'm sure. But when I was 16, something else changed. My mother got very sick. Her chronic illness symptoms mirror mine very, very much. And from the age of about 14, I had been told by my mother that I needed to watch her and understand what she was going through because it was what my future was going to look like if I didn't get well. And we were both putting our whole might behind me getting well, or at least propping up my quality of life. And my sister too, but I'm not going to talk about her because she's asked that I don't. So this is just me and my story (laughs) because I want to obviously respect her. But when I was 16, my mother's cognitive symptoms, the debilitating brain fog that both of us live with, um, but hers got worse. And so I started stepping into a medical advocacy position for her. So before we would go to doctor's appointments and my mom would sit in the room and be like, here's what's up with my kid. And then when I got a little older, it was listen to my daughter as she tells you what's wrong with her. Please help her fix it. And then now it was I spent hours sitting on the floor with her before her appointments, going through all of her notes about her symptoms and what treatments and pills and all this other stuff did for her or the fact that it didn't move the needle was more common. And then I would go into the appointment with her and I would rehash all that stuff and advocate for her because she couldn't often remember because she has a lot of medical PTSD and also just a lot of brain fog. I would rehash her symptoms. I would advocate for her with doctors. I would stand by over treatments and take notes. And that was that. This became infinitely more complicated when you learned that we saw the same doctors. So a lot of times the two of us would have appointments on the same day and I would either be forgotten about Or rushed through because they spent so much of that a lot of time on my mom and I want to make this very clear I'm aware of two things that coexist at the same time the first thing is that that's not okay I know that I am very well aware of that I was well aware of that when I was 16 I am well aware of that now the second thing is that my mother did not knowingly deprive me of medical care again she was doing her best and in her estimation and a lot of the doctors backed this up if they could figure out what was wrong with her, it would be much easier to treat me and my sister because a good chunk, a big chunk of what's up with us is genetic from our mother. Tests have proven that. So she thought if I need to spend all of this money on health care and I only have money to spend on health care effectively for, you know, like one either one person can do it really well or all three people can, you know, do it halfway. I'm going to throw as much money at myself as I can because I'm the sickest. And then that will help my kids when we figure out what's wrong with me. And it all makes sense to me. And again, she was doing her best and I'm sad about it. And it it definitely didn't do me any favors, but I understand it. And I don't really think any of us can know what we would do in that situation when you're a mother and you're watching your two children suffer. And you're kind of just like, okay, I have no good options. What do I do? And you're told most of the stuff going on with your kids is genetic from you. You think, well, if I can go through the pain and suffering of, of getting treatment and my health can get fixed, then my children can just get the help that they need the first try. I get it. I understand it. But from 16 on, I was a medical advocate. And that taught me a lot of how to advocate for myself. It taught me a lot about understanding how to read people in medical settings. And so by the time we moved to Philadelphia when I was 18 and started college, I was a pro at that. But I was also becoming increasingly aware that I wasn't going to get well and that it was really going to affect my career. I was raised knowing that I would probably always be sick like this, but I was also raised knowing that I had a responsibility to society, to myself, and because I'm a Christian to God, to try my best to do something with my life. Whatever that something was that I wanted to do with my life, I I needed to try. And I also knew growing up that I wanted to be a journalist. I would be lying if I said it wasn't mostly because I was nosy, nosy as all get out. But it was also because to me, storytelling mattered. I liked the thought of being the person that knew what was going on, knew the right people to ask questions of, knew who to talk to to get answers. And I liked the idea as I got older of writing stories that provided people with the knowledge, the information, the access to people that they needed to make the best choices for themselves, their lives, their families, their health, their finances, whatever. Like I liked that idea. And so by the time I was 18, we moved to Philadelphia and I went to journalism school. That was what I wanted to do. Journalism is an incredibly grueling industry. It was grueling back then. It is probably worse now. And spoiler alert, I left journalism in 2019 because it wasn't paying me enough to subsidize the increased healthcare that I needed for all of the emotional and physical hits the job was dealing me. I just like it was one or the other and I had to pick. And that was kind of my first brush with the notion that, oh no, I can't actually force my body to do whatever I want it to do. I'm sick. Ah, oh no. But moving to Philadelphia, going to college, working and doing internships every single semester... Because I knew that that was the only way I was going to get my foot in the door of a really competitive industry. And then also serving as my mother's medical advocate meant that I don't remember most of my 18 to 20 when I was in college. I don't remember. I don't remember a lot of it. I I cognitively know what happened, but I don't have a lot of memories because I was just like busy and exhausted and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to step back a bit because I just gave you a lot of history of chronic illness mine specifically, I'm going to try to talk about my feelings because I I, I feel like maybe that's relevant. I don't know. You tell me. Being sick was very isolating. Trying to explain to people that I knew that I was sick was very isolating, both because of the whole, I don't have a diagnosis thing that I talked about before, but also because as I got older, the message from my family continued to be, you can't tell anyone about this without being looked at funny because no one will understand it like your family no one else lives like this no one can understand chronic illness unless you're in a hospital or that you know there's something quote-unquote visibly wrong with you and i didn't strictly think that that was true perhaps but i didn't have anything telling me otherwise and so i was kind of like okay guess i'll just suffer in silence then which was fine as it turns out because i didn't have like a lot of friends? That sounds really bad. But I, I had like a couple of close friends throughout my life, but I never had like a big group of friends until I was in my like early twenties. But I I resisted the notion until I was a teenager that my life revolved around being sick. I didn't want my life to revolve around being sick. Mostly because at the time the literature that was put in front of me about sick children was like cancer understanding terminal illness, you can help your friends, that sort of thing. I remember when we lived in Texas, when I was in high school, going to the library at like age 15 or 16. And again, dovetailing a little bit into like, you know, reading was my only hobby for so long. I remember going to the library when I was like 15 or 16 and asking the librarian, hi, do you have any, do you know of any books or do you have any books that are about or have characters with chronic illness in them? And the only thing a librarian could cough up was the book of the moment, which was The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. Regardless of your opinions on the book, that was not the kind of story that I wanted to read. I didn't want to read a story about sick people where one of them dies. Like, that was not helpful to me. That was not the representation that I wanted. And spoiler alert, that's why I wrote an entire novel and I'm trying to get it published, because I wanted something with a chronically ill character or more where the story wasn't about the sickness, the story wasn't about them dying it was just hey here's a character who's chronically ill that does all this other stuff like that was what I wanted so I tried to be that representation for myself in a way I spent most of my life walking around ignoring that I was sick trying to hide that I was sick because I wanted the world to believe that I was just a human being who happened to be like a little bit off, like a little bit more tired than usual, a little bit more like weird looking than usual. Because like, dude, I was always sick. Like I always looked like dead inside in the eyes. I had really bad acne all over because that was the only way my body could like detox and eliminate all the toxins. Um, but that's what I wanted. I-, I wanted that that appearance of normalcy for my own sanity and because my parents had me convinced that if I didn't appear that way, then I wouldn't get like respect. I wouldn't get opportunities because all they would see was like a sick person, which looking back, holy ableism, Batman, but I didn't know any better. And I was just so scared that if I dared admit that something was wrong, that something bad would happen. So I tried to hide it and it came out through fiction because I'm me and nothing has changed. I'm still like this, surprise, surprise. Shout out to all the fictional characters I write, AO3 fanfic about y'all are the real ones. When I was growing up, one of the things that would happen every so often is my mother would have what we all called a health crisis. One or more of her symptoms would get so bad that she was in bed sometimes for months on end. And when that happened, it usually fell to me to run the household because my father was an abusive, neglectful individual. Try not to swear, because I'm not sure what the rules are on that on podcasts, but I know I should probably have less of a potty mouth than I do on TikTok. But when I was 21, I had my first health crisis and I'm honestly surprised it took that long for it to happen, given the everything. When I was 20, I graduated college and I moved for my first big girl out of college job, which was a daily reporter at a small daily newspaper in the American South. Which was very interesting because it was there in the American South that I realized that I was bisexual. Realizing that you're queer and kind of sort of coming out as queer when it mattered to people and they were safe in the South was a really interesting experience that I don't think I quite grasped just how strange it was and how bizarre of an experience it was until I left and was like, huh, on reflection, that was weird. That was an interesting, I made some choices, but anyway, I digress. Remember when I said that journalism was hard and I ended up leaving because it wasn't worth the hits to my health? This was the job that did it. All through college, I had internships. I was a copy editor for the the big newspaper, the Philadelphia Inquirer. I was uh, a a almost full time reporter for a newspaper my last two semesters. I worked on the school paper. I had internships at like, you know, nonprofit news organizations like I did a lot of stuff and loved it. I thrived for the first time in my life. It felt like I was actually good at something, actually competently good at something in a way that would make me money. Yeah, but that more importantly to me made all of my education worth it. The exhaustion, the commuting, the 21 hour days, it made it all worth it because I was actually, I felt good at something. But then when I was 20 and I moved and I started this job, it kind of all fell apart. And This was the beginning of me getting the tickling notion in the back of my brain that maybe my mental health needed to matter, which, again, was not the message that I had been fed. In fact, from the age of 16 up until that point, I was told you cannot talk about your depression or anxiety to any doctor anywhere ever, because if you do that, they're going to think that that's the reason why everything is wrong with you. And that's not the reason you have chronic fatigue and all of your organs are not working in some way, shape or form. And you cannot we cannot afford for them to write all of that off just because you say you're depressed. So, shut up about it. Which made sense because, unfortunately, women and AFAB people are sorely mistreated by the medical community if they dare complain about mental health symptoms. So, age 20, living alone for the first time, dealing with the following factors was really hard. First thing, my mother was still unwell, and I was still being asked to operate in a patient advocacy capacity for her, which is hard to do at a very, very long distance. Looking back, I don't think it was a coincidence that the stress finally made something in my brain snap. In March of 2019, two things happened. I had the onset of very specific, very persistent chronic pain in my right hip that was worse than my usual chronic pain that I've been walking around with since birth. And my mother had been in a months-long health crisis that I was being asked to help manage at a distance without the money or the paid time off to actually go home, to fly home and help her. And as a result, my now doctor thinks that my brain just snapped. And as a result, my brain stopped talking to the muscles of my right hip, which is what was causing all that pain. I just woke up one morning like that. And it was so bad I was crying. And if if you all know me, you know that I, I don't really cry. That's not a thing that I do. So my sister who was staying with me at the time was like, hmm, that's not normal. Are you good? And my response was, no, I am not. But even after that... As I was trying desperately to get it resolved, and th- that, that didn't end up working until I was 24. But even then, I was doing just so poorly. I had no work-life balance. The expectation at that newspaper was that you work 40, 50, 60 hours a week without complaint. And yes, you were only paid for 40 hours a week. The pay was absolutely just abysmal. I had student loans to pay because that was the only way I was going to get an education because my parents didn't have any money for my college because they had to spend money on health care. didn't save for my sisters in my college. I had scholarships, but that wasn't enough. I still had student loans to pay. So my life was work. My life was work and medical advo- advocacy at a distance. And my life was also intense crippling depression because I had convinced myself and my family's narrative did nothing to help that I was a terrible awful, horrible, evil daughter for abandoning my family. I was disloyal and I was terrible and I abandoned them and so I deserve to suffer. I had myself convinced, and I know how mentally unhealthy this is, I'm well aware now, but I had myself convinced that because I abandoned my family back in Philadelphia to move out here to do a job that I didn't deserve to make connections, make friends. I kept myself at home. I either, When I say that I either went to work grocery shopping or went home, that was all I did. That was my life which was a very miserable way to live. But I thought that it's what I deserved because I was a dishonest, terrible daughter for abandoning my sick mother. It was not, it was not a healthy way to live. It just wasn't, and I know it. And I didn't know it then because I was supremely mentally ill. But all of that combined pushed me into my first proper health crisis. And that happened shortly after I was laid off in August of 2019 and moved back home and lived at home again. And my body just kind of crumpled under the stress of the financial trauma that came with the insecurity of not having a job, all of the health stuff that I had to ignore when I lived on my own in in the South because I just didn't have the money to fund my treatment. And it all just kind of came crashing down. And I was pretty unwell for about three months and then kind of started to scrape myself back together. I had a remote job that I really liked. I was working from home and realized that working from an office was definitely not helping my health because the stress of having to perform being a person was a lot. My brain doesn't work right. I have brain fog. I have chronic fatigue. I have short-term memory problems because my body is messed up. And compensating for that became such this exhausting labor that working remotely was the best thing that could have happened to me because at least I didn't have to leave the house And we barely had any calls that weren't like Zoom calls. And I could pretend to be a human person for you know 30 minutes. But sitting at a desk all the time trying to look like this perfect, peppy, wholesome person was just not working. So I was glad of that. I will also admit that from 21 to about 24, I wasn't disinterested in my medical care, but I was checked out from it for two reasons. The first one being that the pandemic really hamstrung my ability to get medical care because my doctor's office was not set up to do remote telehealth very well just by virtue of the treatments that we needed mostly my mom but also me um, but then also because I didn't have the money and it was expensive and my parents were no longer able to fund my health care or my sisters and I was still operating in a in a medical advocacy capacity for my mom but it mostly became driving her to appointments her being seen and me being unable to be seen because either there wasn't enough time they forgot about me or I didn't have the money for it and I had kind of just resigned myself to that. I was like, you know what? I I can't emotionally deal with this, so I'm just going to not because obviously avoidance is smart, right? It's not. I'm just kidding. But it wasn't until I was 24, which was back in 2022, that it changed. And that's where a lot of the chronic illness stuff that I talk about now clicks into place. Hey, besties, it's Cam. I forgot to record an outro to this episode on the off chance it needed to be split into two parts instead of one which it is going to be, so I'm coming at you with a different microphone from my bedroom, because why not? Anyway, the original recording is about an hour long, so I'm cutting it into two 30-minute episodes because it is not the easiest topic to listen to and edit for an hour on end, and also probably best digested for y'all in 30 minute size pieces and not an entire hour. So come back next week for the final part, which covers more of my life as has also been covered on my TikTok. So this is the backstory. And then we get into the real stuff in part two. So come back next week for episode five. And thank you for listening. I hope the story helps. As always, you can find me on TikTok, and you can also check out the other links that I have in the podcast description, wherever you're listening. Thank you for your love and support, and I will see you next week. Bye!